Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Risk Management Magazine and Risk Management Monitor Blogs uh, podcast, The Risk Cast. I'm Bill Coffin, Publisher and Editorial Director of Risk Management Magazine, and with me is my editorial staff, Emily Holbrook. Hello. Morgan O'Rourke. Hello. And Jared Wade. Hey. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got a couple uh, interesting stories lined up here to talk about today. I think what we'd like to go into first is a story that uh, I, I started following this yesterday, um, but it's actually been going on for a, for a good portion of the month. On November fifth, uh, there's an unusual unusual armored car heist happened in France, which I which which just immediately captured my my imagination because I love crime stories and I love reading about uh, clever criminals, and so many of them are not clever. And what happened is uh, this guy, a Loomis auto, uh, Loomis armored car guard in France named Tony Musselin. Uh, basically, he had been working for the company for ten years. Perfect employee. Uh, no reason to believe that he was up to anything. Um, just a normal day at work, whatever. He was the shift, I guess, commander, whatever. He was the top top guard in the three man crew. They did all their their errands. They stopped off at the Bank of France. The last last jump of the day. He sent out the two guys in the car to do one last errand in the bank, uh, and then he just took off with 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 the truck and left with about seventeen seventeen point two million dollars in unmarked uh, euro bills. So it was this, this massive heist. He just he did, oh, wow. yeah, and, and he just he did, he just, just vanished. And it was kind of funny because the authorities thought he'd been kidnapped originally because he just he just disappeared. They didn't see the car or anything. Uh, then they the car was, was was later found, and then they they realized that this guy he had cleaned out his bank account. He had about hundred thousand euros in his bank account. Um, and then he, strangely, he had also bought a, a, like a $250,000 Ferrari last year. So, and this is for a guy who gets paid about $3,000 a month to be a security guard. So very unusual situation kind of, kind of arose. Um, he became this anti-hero. So wait, he bought the Ferrari before he stole the money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, 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 no. This is a weird thing. I, this guy, he had Not been his a, first rodeo, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, he gets paid crap, right? He gets paid $3,000 a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's about seven hundred fifty a week to guard millions and millions of dollars in a, in, in a big truck, right? Obviously, there's no way he he on you know he, he legitimately came into the quarter mil he needed to buy the Ferrari. Um, he then somehow also had another like one hundred fifty thousand dollars in a bank account. It, it was sitting around, so he cleaned that up before he, he took off. Right. Um, so the so the authorities quickly thought it was an inside job. Turned out it was just him. So apparently he's been planning it for a long time. Uh, people in France go nuts over this. They love this guy. There are, there are websites dedicated to him. There are fan sites. There's like a, a Facebook fan site came up and got a thousand fans in the first day. And people just went crazy for this dude. Um, it all had kind of an anticlimactic ending because yesterday he turned himself in in Monaco after 11 days on the run. And apparently he came in and sort of in a state of confusion. The authorities weren't really sure why he turned himself in or whatever. Um, Especially since he had 17 million. Well, actually, actually, he didn't have 17 million. They, they recovered about 9 million of it a few days later after the heist. But he's still, there's still about 3.5 million unaccounted for. And he's not talking at all. He's being very uncooperative. He won't give it up. And people in France are basically like, yeah, this is a great job. He's, you know, when they try him for this, he's probably only going to get about three years in jail. So... The prevailing attitude is, yeah, you know, this guy who ripped off millions from a bank. How know? is he only getting three years in jail? Well, apparently the thing is that because he stole all this money without even threatening violence, he just he just drove off with it. It's a very nonviolent crime, so they're charging him for theft. Obviously, um, they're actually they're also charging him for fraud um, because he report before he did the theft, he reported his Ferrari stolen. 
And apparently what happened is he the guy has family and, and ties in the Balkans. Apparently he drove his Ferrari to Serbia, stashed it there somewhere, reported it stolen, and then ripped off all the cash. So they're going to hit him for fraud um, as well. But mainly just because they're looking for anything to throw at him so he does more right. than three years jail time. Because what the authorities are concerned with is that, I mean, you can only imagine how bleak the, the feeling against bankers and financiers and all that is in this country. Apparently it's even worse in France. So people are really worried that given the large amount of public sympathy this dude already has, if he gets off with only three years, people go, hmm. Everybody will steal from everything. Well, yeah, he's getting paid a million dollars a year to, to sit in jail. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like people are like, I can do that. Sure. So how you much know? money does, does the, is the bank out that they haven't recovered or anything like that? About 3.5 million. About and, 3.5. And he, yeah, and he's being uncooperative. He won't, he won't, you know, it's kind of like, remember that big art theft in the, the Ava Gardner Museum up in Boston? Like, they're like 20 years ago. This guy, they, they, they these guys stole like 300. Oh, my time. Uh, yeah, right. No no, <laughs> no, 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 no. But these guys stole like three hundred million dollars worth of art, right. and the one guy yeah, who's the, the legend mastermind, he still has never said where the art is, and everybody's just concerned that the reason why is because he plans to sell it once he gets out. He stashed it, and once he gets out of jail, he'll sell it. The Ava Gardner Museum. Yeah, I probably got it wrong. <laughs> well, Ava, Ava Gardner is a movie, a movie star. Yeah, movie. yeah, that's a movie star. Well, Sorry. Uh, I yeah. know it's the Gardner Museum. It's the Gardner. Yeah, it's not Ava Gardner, though. Yeah, I don't think it's the Ava Gardner <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> wrong there. Really Sorry. It's an awesome museum and a great movie career. But regardless, <laughs> they did steal a lot of art, yes. Yes. So, well, I, I think the authorities are trying, trying to you know, worry, about, worry about this, uh, you know, becoming a, a, a copycatted sort of thing. But, you know, what immediately, you know, brings to mind from, from a risk management perspective is this. You've got a guy, even that. I, obviously, a company like Loomis must do background checks on all of its people, right? And he's been working for them for 10 years, apparently had a spotless history, a bit of a loner, but not like – he wasn't giving off crazy signals or anything like that. He just, you know, normal guy. He's not getting paid really a pittance when you consider the value of what he's being asked to not steal. And every, I mean, every day you right. go to work as an armored car driver, you're undergoing a, a morality check of am I or am I not going to drive off with this big – pile of cash. And it was a big pile of cash. I mean, the photos of the money, they, re- they, they it was 50 stacks of bills. It took up a whole, like, a whole truck. like a, yeah, it would, like, fill this office with money. I mean, it was a huge pile of, like, of money. And this is a gigantic office. <laughs> it, it is. Sweeping views. Cavernous. <laughs> Sweeping views. I mean, there are already piles of money everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but, but the, the, the point is that it, it seems like the the first thing you want to do is pay these guys more, right. perhaps. You know, I just double their salary, something. I mean, did you say he was disgruntled or had any sort of thing like that? Was there any history yeah, of that sort of stuff? Yeah, wasn't he upset you said about a loner, something? But I guess yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a good point. Apparently, one of his coworkers said. I mean, very shortly before the robbery, he had said, um, he said they'll pay the bank, the bosses, we'll have them. But that's the only thing he said. And I guess people just he had kind of made it known he was pissed off that he was not getting paid all that well. Oh. But I mean. Honestly, it seems to be kind of a national pastime in France is to gripe about what you're getting paid for. Um, so maybe that wasn't seen as a as a as a clear indicator he was about to make off with seventeen million dollars. So, so, of, so the, the the moral then seems to be that you should probably pay your security guards a little more, or at least treat them better. Maybe some perks or something. You think that would be common sense, though? You know, to entrust your employee with that much of your money, you would pay them well to you know keep them happy. Yeah, but it also speaks to a larger issue, too. I think, like, uh, there's been a lot of people in governmental capacities or, or everywhere that are looking at white-collar crime and for something like um, stealing money or, you know, that type of stuff from um, your co- corporation or from a bank or whatever as a white-collar criminal rather than running off with a money truck, you know, then you do the same thing. You might even do less time. Right. So, yeah. you know, if there's new, no, no new legisla- legislation or regulations to kind of increase the penalties that people like that can face, then 
you're you're in a MetLife prison, you know, and then you uh, come out and you're ten yeah. million dollars richer. And yeah, I would imagine this guy's probably knows some, probably has some CEO that he knows of, or that's particularly incensed him that is he knows his oh that guy's got a hundred billion dollars that he bilked from whatever company. Yeah. So why shouldn't I take a truck full of seventeen million? Well, that seems to be in this case. right. Well, 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 you know, and that seems to be kind of a bit of what's what's spurring the, the whole hero worship of this guy in France, because you know a lot of people are thinking that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, investment bankers and the Wall Street folks who created the great big you know crash last year and all that sort of thing. These people have lost, um, you know, or or you know other you know just cases of outright fraud have stolen well more than this. I mean, you know, you know, I, 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 you know, and and and. You know, are, are getting off, maybe not even being charged. You know, I mean, people who crash the whole economic system aren't being charged for anything. Some of them just lost their jobs. You know, and and, and that's you know, some of them are still doing what they're doing and being paid very very handsomely for it. And I think that that really fuels a lot, a huge amount of frustration amongst amongst uh, you know amongst the average average folks in the street in, in France. So it's kind of a unusual situation. But but it seems to also play to a larger just sort of sense of criminal worship going on over in over in France because the articles I've read have have indicated that, you know, this is it's it's not uncommon for French people to really go nuts when some some criminal like this sort of gets away with a crime and is seen as being clever. I mean, the French really like the fact that he did this without hurting anybody and just just basically had the gumption just to drive off with But that's you know, not that's not unique to France. I mean American pop culture is based on Hero worship of gangsters of all kinds. I mean, yeah, Scarface true. is a really popular movie, and that's not about you know <laughs> a guy who was really nice to kids on Christmas and stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> but yeah, I that mean, wasn't even real too. I mean, you talk about like Jesse James and Just, Bonnie yeah. and Clyde and all that stuff. Yeah, right. All those guys. So. Yeah, I mean, Jesse James particularly was a, Dillinger. Was a superhero back in the Dillinger was another one. Yeah, right. The old school gangsters. I mean, we don't have those type of gangsters now, I guess, because it's they steal. There's those. They were only stealing a few thousand dollars. Bank robberies don't really. <laughs> Well, nowadays you've got to have rocks. I mean, nowadays you've got to have rocks in your head to steal a bank in the United States. I mean, the average the average bank robbery. We we're talking about this the other day, actually. Is you know the the average bank robbery, I guess, in the in the U.S. nets you about three thousand bucks, right? Because you clear out the you clear out the drawers and you're you're out of there. And you go to jail for like twenty years. It's like yeah, a and, offense, and, and the and the feds have like a more than ninety percent chance of catching you. And not not least which because you always hear stories. Of these guys they do something stupid like they leave behind their wallet or a business <laughs> card or you know just some other you know some other device basically says catch me please I have your money you know it's just, it's just, it's very very strange. But I used to live out in uh, Jamaica Queens where I used to go to school at St John's University and we'd read like the daily news and stuff and it would seem like every day or at least like three times a week there'd be a bank robbery like just in the in Queens in the area. Really? And so there was so, I mean it can. I'm sure most of these people end up getting caught, but most of yeah. the times you'd hear about it, it would be successful, you know, for yeah. the, that night or whatever, that day. Um, so, I mean, you can't, I was kind of always it like, depends on how hey, it's pretty easy to steal a bank, rob a bank. I mean, yeah. well, I mean I'm, do sure, I'm sure when you steal in a bank, if you're robbing a bank, it's not like stealing a bank. Like, stealing <laughs> picking up the whole bank and yeah. jacking it up on a, walk off no, of the building. Robbing, when you're robbing a bank, I'm sure the tellers are instructed to really just give you what you want and get out. I mean, safety is usually number one because probably because the uh, ability to catch the Bank robber later is yeah. so high. I guess so easy to do that. They're like, take it. We'll get you in a minute. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's usually FDIC insured. And That's true. So right. Yeah, right. So you know, but um, bank robberies just sort of strike me as one of those things where you know, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of bad guys know they know it's insured, right? So they figure it's you know they figure it's a victimless crime, right? They know that people aren't supposed to resist, so they're probably not going to get shot while doing it. Um, you know, and they figure, well, they can just walk in, not even have a gun, just just put in a slip, say, give me the money, and and, and they get it. it. It strikes me as one of those crimes that probably anybody could get away with if they only did it once. But the whole, but the thing is, if some, if you're going to be the kind of person who's going to 
go and rob a bank, right? If you're not going to put your, your, your brain power to, to an honest living, you're never going to stop with just one bank. You're going to keep doing it because you can think you can do it every it's time. Like Lay's potato chips. You, know? <laughs> you can't steal just one. You can't steal just one. And as right. we learned from Pulp Fiction, though, if you want to go to a diner, that's probably the way to go. You get more money from the customers walking in the wallets <laughs> than, than you do from the teller. Exactly. Some kind of... Some, <laughs> Emily wouldn't know because she she's Emily allergic to movies. Emily doesn't like watch, to watch movies. Emily, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yeah, I have, but it was like when it first came out. Why so. do you have to lie on this podcast? <laughs> Why do you have to make this podcast a den of lies? I what he was talking about. <laughs> Just so we know, because we make a thousand references to this, because we're fascinated by the fact that Emily does not watch movies, only documentaries. Documentaries, so we'll man. probably reference it more than once. And if So now you're in. You're on the in uh in joke, I guess. Well, you know, one, one last thing I just want to bring up about this whole Tony Muselin caper is that, you know, getting back to... That's the, his name? Yeah, uh, yeah, Tony Muselin. Okay. Which sounds a little... I don't know. Tony Serial. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, but what was strange is that, you know, he obviously came up with, with you know, about $400,000 to buy a really nice Ferrari and to have a ton of money in the bank afterwards. So... It would seem that he had been stealing from somebody beforehand. And, it would and, seem and their screening process may have been a little flawed. Regardless, yeah. this is not like some guy who just was like the model employee one day, most likely. And who just snapped and just drove off unless with the amount of cash. he legitimately yeah. had a side job that nobody knew about, and he was really good at betting horses. No, nah, nah, apparently he was just a quiet guy. He did his job. He went home. He would lift weights, and then just and he didn't really do a whole lot. But, I mean – he had most of the money stored in a storage unit that he had he had rented under an assumed name, and and like I said, he had cleaned out his personal finances before he actually took off and and, and went to Monaco. So I mean, he actually had the whole thing planned out. It seems like maybe he had been stealing all along, you know, or 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 or, 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 or something, you know, because I mean, the authorities are not saying he was under investigation for any other crimes. I got to wonder was he slowly just taking the little bits here and there over a long period of time to kind of test but then the defenses of who would ever do that. Huh? Who would ever do that from their company? <laughs> <laughs> no well, why would he turn himself in then? If this was like one of these plans that yeah, you know, that's what I'm baffled by. Years, I don't know, you know, when he's like, he was on his way to becoming to the, you know the French DB Cooper, right? I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they had no clue where he was, and and, and, and actually there was a big you know the, the French inter, uh, alerted Interpol because they were just because they they were they were really worried that if he he was going to go to the Balkans, and once he got there. They would never see him again, you know. And once he, you know, went right. to the hills of Serbia or something, they were never going to find this guy. Um, so, so I don't know. I, maybe he thought he was going to get caught and get and left a lot of the money behind, and maybe he only planned on keeping three point five million. Who knows? Maybe he just had a mental breakdown. I, I, there, there's no way of knowing. I mean, when he when he gave himself up in Monaco, the authorities said he appeared confused, right. and they weren't even sure if he knew where he was. So who knows That's what weird. what maybe he just went on a bender for three days yeah. and just walked in all hopped up on absinthe and just said you know what <laughs> ain't worth it turning myself in who knows wow. well either way watch your employees they're all thieves that's my <laughs> advice Morgan especially oh please so you go I only took the post its I'm gonna steal these microphones when, when Bill's not looking it's <laughs> <laughs> our last podcast <laughs> yeah, right cool. All right, so we're going to wrap up the segment real quick, take a short break, and we'll be right back with uh, more news and insight in the world of risk management. Be right back. Okay, and we're back. Jared, what do you got for us? Um, well, today, I believe it was today, yeah, the uh, pirates from Somalia, they, for the second time, atta- attacked the uh, Maersk, Alabama um, for the 
Second, first time they were unsuccessful. This time they were again unsuccessful uh, because the ship used what is termed a sonic blaster. Uh, sonic blaster. Yes, a long-range <laughs> acoustic device, um, as well as small arms fire to uh, to scare them off. Basically, what it is is a loud sound-making device that, as soon as you hear it, you don't want to be around. And uh, they ran off. So this is the same. This is the same ship that was attacked, and we have this in the upcoming December issue where we cover some of the risk issues of uh, the past year. But we, uh, this is the same ship that was attacked early in the year, and they. Uh, then they kill. Then we send uh, send Navy SEALs in to yes. kill them. Yes, um, some pirates. Obama promptly got elected and then declared war against the pirates and, and killed and had Navy right. SEALs yeah. snipe the pirates. Yeah, right. but they they held the captain of that ship hostage for five days on a lifeboat at gunpoint until the Navy Is SEALs really on a lifeboat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. Know that. for five days until the Navy SEALs, um, you know, sharpshooters yeah. arrived and, and killed the three. The the, the, <laughs> the first go around, the pirates storm storm the boat. And the crew locked themselves in the engine room where they where they disabled the ship, um, and so the, so the captain couldn't drive her to steer it. Then the and, and then at that point they, they apparently jumped out, beat the crap out of one pirate, took him hostage. The rest of the pirates then took the captain hostage, and there's a little back and forth who are they going to get back? And I guess the pirates said, "Give us back our guy, we'll give you the captain." The pirates did. The pirates said, "Ha ha!" Like very James Bond, you know, we were lying. And then went to a an away boat where they're there for like a day. That ran out of gas, and then they went they shipped everything to a lifeboat. Set the the Alabama adrift, uh-huh. and then we're trying to get back to the shore where they could then, I guess, um, ransom the pirate, ransom, uh, the ran, captain. ransom the captain. That's when the Navy showed up and and gave them all high distance or high speed, long distance lead poisoning. <laughs> long distance. Lead. <laughs> so then the pirates come back and attack the same ship. What six months later? Yes, unbeknownst to them, I believe. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they've had a bad history of attacking the wrong ship. Didn't they hit some some French warship a little while ago? They did. Yes, oh, again, smart. unsuccessfully. Yeah. yeah. So that's so. So basically, the pirates the are just seeing the ships go by. Well, they also they also just recently didn't they? I think they still are captive. So people are just in the area on a yacht. Yeah, they just kidnapped them. So it's basically yes. what it is is any boat. Off the coast of Somalia, is that they can see subject that they can see, they'll attack regardless of whether or not there's it's a warship mm-hmm. or a ship that already has been proven to be the death of them. A, ca- yeah. a married couple sailboat yeah. doesn't, ma- yeah. doesn't right. matter, right? Yeah. Wow, because they can hold these people hostage and, and get money from. You know, well, saying the coast of Somalia actually doesn't even seem to be much of an accurate indicator anymore because it used to be, you know, for a long time, I guess, you know, they'd say stay away from like 100 nautical miles of the coast and then it was 200 nautical miles. Now it's pretty much anywhere between the coast of Africa and the Maldives Islands right. is... Gulf of, Gulf of Aden, is that what it's Yeah, I mean, and there's a huge amount of, huge amount of territory uh, of, of, of water. These guys are doing like, like deep water, you know, or what they call blue water, you know, attacks and... Well, you've got to see, that, I mean, it's interesting <coughs> that the, obviously the Maersk, Alabama was prepared this time. Yes, it wasn't had, last They time. had... Like a, a, a military force or armed force on board, along with the yeah, they're, they're private blast. contractors. Yes. Yeah, along right. with the sonic blast. Yeah, they had small arms, cool, which sounds just really cool. I mean, and you, you know now it's they, better than shooting them, but how? I mean, imagine this great imagine big like how loud a sonic blaster is that it's going to turn you away. Where do you get one of those? I just have images of like this massive like you know like Death Stars type ra- like ra- radio dish on the bow and just sort of like just you know aiming at these guys or something. Have you, seen, have, you, have you heard of like the um, the stuff that I, I think stores were using? Where there's there's like tones that only teenagers can use. Yeah, the ultrasonic things because it hits a certain frequency. Yeah, and I've heard on the computer and I've actually played it, and so far my hearing is held up enough that I can actually hear it. Yeah, but I've heard that like in certain malls they'll play this stuff like in the uh, like the entryway where. Kids might be to deter loitering, right? Right. 
yeah. which really? also probably deters any younger employees from working in the, the perfume section, say. But yeah, true. still, I can imagine the sonic blaster is not yeah. just some high-pitched squeal that annoys its yeah, no. pirate's hearing frequency. But hey, it's That's got to be something a lot more. Intense. All I know is that walking the streets of Manhattan, when a, when an ambulance or a fire truck, you know, rolls by and they got their they got their sirens going, I mean, it is ear splitting. It's really loud. I can only imagine if you had a cannon specifically designed to focus sound on your head, just how uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. it would be. You're sitting there trying to drive a high speed boat towards a a tag, uh, some freight ship, and the guys on top are already shooting at bullets at you, and then they hit you with the sound thing. I'd be like, you know what? I'll well, do I mean, it tomorrow. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how much how much of those things cost, and if it's feasible for any ship to start running around with them. Yeah, as a, as the Wired blog says on it, says sometimes the combination of the LRAD, which is the sound, sonic boom making thing, fire hoses and evasive maneuvers is not enough. So sometimes you you know need the extra need, small arms and need some guns. And I mean, the, I, yeah, uh, we can't think it's the only thing that would deter anybody. Sure. Right. And one of the pirate bosses, a guy uh, known as Red Teeth. Oh, Red Teeth. <laughs> Thank you. Because he never no. brushed, ever. <laughs> well, because, or just because his normal name of Clarence isn't scary enough, you know? No, well, Tony Longbutter is a more scary name than that. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Longbutter. Uh, just random, random names we like to throw out there. So, so, um, so what about he, he's, he's reporting that uh, four of his colleagues were killed or injured. Um, during the second attack. During the second attack, yeah. With so the was wow. <laughs> I, I know he's not he's not suing, but he is. He's he really he is, was quoted in the New York Times as saying, "We will keep attacking on foreign vessels until illegal fishing and toxic dump is stopped." So they're doing this, so they're doing this as a pirate form of like a Greenpeace. No, that's it, just one of their. It pieces. seems to be that's what he is proposing. But <laughs> I think they're more in it for the money. Yeah, yeah, I would think so too. Well, the, the, there's been a lot of things I've read that that basically you know since the collapse of the Somali government, what's happened is that there's been no there's been no national body there to challenge international fishing and, and, and toxic waste dumping off the off the coast of the country. It's been kind of a free for all zone. So I mean most most international fishing trawlers when they're operating within national waters, either can't or they have very strict fishing quotas enforced by the country, by the country, and the country can always take it to the United Nations if it's not if it's not if it's not locally enforceable. Right. Somalia has no such recourse. And my understanding is that I mean it's been seventeen years without a central government that the local the local fishing grounds have been decimated. By, by large-scale international trawlers. And so I have read on, on a couple different blogs that sort of thing that, you know, I, I mean, I'm not condoning piracy necessarily, but but th- there is at least some sentiment out there that some of the pirates are basically just, you know, people who just they can't get a job otherwise. Now, having said that, it's kind of like saying, well, you know, yeah, but it's it's, it's I, similar. I pedal crack because I live in a bad neighborhood and I can't get a decent job. I mean, you know, there's no justification there either. In Nigeria with the oil fields, when, when, Nash, yeah. when other, um, you know, international companies come in and Take your natural resource. Oh, yeah. It kind of pisses you off. Yeah, sure. I would imagine it's the same as our as our bank robber fellow who saw other people getting paid when he yeah. wasn't in the same, you know, working for the same company. It's just, I guess, it's really the difference is the ma- the means to which you go to make to right that r- yeah supposed wrong. Well, having said having said all that, I would imagine that if if you know something were to happen and miraculously Somalia guys act together tomorrow and a whole new government were to come around, right, and there was complete enforceability of its fishing grounds. Um, I don't think it would change. I really don't think the pirates will all go, hooray, we can go back to fishing, because they're making so much more money as pirates now. I mean, there, there's no incentive for them to stop Are being they, pirates. I mean, I, 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 the piracy industry yes. is huge. No, I know, but how much? Like, yeah, they do. There is a they're lot driving of SUVs rather than internet cafes, well, and there ta- used to be nothing. Uh, I, I, was, I was talking to a fellow who runs the Ocean Marine um, unit for Swiss Re just this week, and he, was, he, he said that it, it's kind of hard to, to gauge the total amount of money 
the piracy industry in Somalia is generating because a lot of shipping companies don't report their losses. But um, you know, there, there are recent cases where ships are being successfully ransomed for like three, three point five million, mm-hmm. and that's for the ship, its contents, and the crew. And that's and and, and that, we're talking cash drops. They figure out these contrived ways to right. drop money out of an airplane. Um, you know, hire a French armored car guy to drive it from Serbia. Who knows? Um, and but, I imagine there's a larger conglomerate of, of people that this is going to, but if you actually look at, and we have a photo in the upcoming issue of you know one of these boats that, that engages in the attacks, and they're really small, and there's not that many people involved in the actual attack. No, it's not comparatively like they, to you know how much the money they're taking. In. It looks like you know a you know just a regular outboard motor and a uh, you know yeah. like something you'd go to for a weekend fishing trip on the lake. Yeah. I mean, with and the, the equipment is nothing special. You see, they, they, this one photo's got like. You know, a ladder you used to paint Made the house. Made of twigs and twine. You know, yeah. and like and some and some milk crates that they're sitting on, and it's not a big operation. So somebody, I don't know who's getting the money. It's and because I mean, yeah. traditionally, I think a little more. Some some ships are going to the for, the small arms and, and contractors on board for security purposes, but generally they haven't done that for the past few years. So they right. they don't even need that much of an arsenal. You know, one yeah. one RPG and a couple of machine guns and. Which well, is Somalia about really five dollars a piece. I mean, it's so easy to get to get armed to that degree, right? Well, I don't this... think they were really supposed to. I don't think there was allowed, or rather, most shipping are not allowed to have arms on board. I, but I don't have, I have no bearing to back that up. That, uh, that I believe you're right. Well, there's a difference between arming a ship, say, like mounting weaponry, like a flak cannon or something, on the deck of your right. boat, and having small arms. I mean, most ships have small arm lockers because when you're in international waters, there's no gun laws to restrict you, right? You need somebody to protect yourself. Um, but I mean. It, you know, you know, for a lot of ships that don't like to carry weapons or even engage pirates like this because it just encourages violence. I mean, if you shoot on the pirates, they're not going to, you know, typically run away. I mean, I imagine there's some sustained gunfire between these guys right. and the and, and the, the, the Alabama crew, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so. Um, Did the guy from Swiss Re have anything to say about that, too? Because, you know, I've read certain articles where some of that is influenced by insurance purposes, why there isn't more ships are arming themselves. Yeah, uh, his name is Tony Cowie, and, and, and he really knew a whole lot about, about the whole thing. And, and really, what he, what he said is, you know, he wasn't talking about you know, the use of crews to, you know, security teams to, to deter it, really. But, um, he, you know, he was just more looking at it from the point of view of, you know, the ransoming and, and, and just, well, one of the things he mentioned, which I thought was pretty fascinating, is the fact that, you know, given how, how far Somali pirates are now operating in, in deep blue water, right, they're so far off the coast now, to avoid them entirely is really not feasible because that 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 section of African coastline is basically a major major world trade route. And if you're going to avoid it entirely, you've got to go so far out of your way, kind of go around the, the tip of Africa. Right, you got to cut through like the heart of the Indian Ocean. It just it's going to add massive cost to the shipping to, to shipping companies and add extra <coughs> time and all that sort of thing. So it's it's kind of a, it's a problem that has to be addressed. And really, his his notion was, I mean. You know, a security team is a tactical solution, but really the, the solution is Somalia has to get a government back. You know, and and right now the country's fragmenting. It's got autonomous zones and is you know, uh, Islamist insurgents and Mogadishu and all that craziness. So, and this is obviously uh, having a huge impact on insurance rates. I did an article for Risk Management Magazine in the January February two thousand nine issue about this same topic, and it's um, I was interviewing somebody. I think it was from Lords of London, maybe. That you know stated the fact that shipping insurance rates had skyrocketed from about you know five hundred dollars if you're sailing through the Gulf of of Aden um, in 2007 to about twenty thousand in 2008 just wow. to take that same route. So it's really hurting companies and then you know hurting the consumers too because we and any ship that does them. get you know captured or delayed some way you know that's screwing up uh, cargo 
lines and sh- uh, supply chains for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it, certainly if you look at, like, those big container ships, I mean, the, the total insurable value of those things is just astronomical. I mean, you've got, like, billion-dollar, you know, you know, vessels cru- cruising through the water when you when you consider the contents and the, and, and the whole the whole. And they're really cost. not even capturing the stuff to do anything with the cargo. The cargo's no, just No, they don't want anything there. to do it's, with it. It's yeah. just a ransom of the ship and its crew. Well, the other thing that Cowie said, said was pretty interesting is, is, is how, I mean, what you see in Somalia, it really is true piracy, which is, you know, what we think of, you know, traditionally as, you know, an armed group actually attacks and takes over a ship. You know, for years and years, there were still incidences that were counting as piracy, but typically it was more like people would get on board the ship and they would just rob the crew, right? They would actually, you know, take their personal effects. They'd take stereos out of the cabin. They'd take your wallet. Yeah, you know, that's where they just sort of steal petty cash so off like the a boat. ship mugging. Yeah, 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 right. It would be like a ship mugging, and they just clean you out that way, and then you go on your way. But they wouldn't even try to crack into the cargo or take the ship because they didn't have the means. They didn't have. I mean, where are you gonna where are you gonna dump a great big boat? You know, I mean, right. I mean, they just didn't have the ability to do it. Uh, but the situation in Somalia has created this perfect kind of set of conditions. Um, you know, and apparently it's not the first time in history that Somalia has been a hotbed of piracy. It's just one of those places where the the local geography and this trade routes just kind of makes this perfect opportunity uh, for shipping to be easily disrupted in the area. So it seems like there's no nothing nothing, nothing good coming out of it anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see too, as you know, we move towards a more globalized society, or you know, already have, and and these economic interests kind of coincide with these political risk angles. Whereas you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago. This would be something, you know, UN and all these NGOs might take up as a cause to, you know, in, intervene and, and try to fix the Somalia situation. Now, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how much maybe global corporate organizations get involved in this. And they're like, well, this is really screwing with our business. So we need to, yeah. you know, try to get some sort of activism that way. Yeah. Well, at the very least, if I mean, if you're running a ship through there, you own the shipping company, you might be in your best interest. To have these have measures in, have security forces, and have mm-hmm. you know cannons and what have you. It's not something you necessarily had to lay out that sort of cost, but now maybe it is because it's pretty, you know if it cuts into your bottom line. That's usually where you get things moving pretty quickly. Yeah, well, it's certainly something that's going to bear you know watching you know, a whole lot more. I mean, I know we talked about piracy stuff in our last podcast, and not that we want to beat the topic into the ground, but the last thing I wanted to leave you guys with is something I when I spoke to Swiss Re earlier this week and that there actually is kind of like a piracy season like what's happening is that in, in this part of the world the monsoon season is coming to an end so as it comes to an end we're going to have six months of relatively calm weather in these waters so when that happens we can expect to see piracy attacks really increase in number huh. so so we're probably going to see a lot more of it in the news and even there i mean every major nation has got like warships in the area china India, yeah. United States, the European Union. I mean, they're all – Russia's got assets in the area. They're all trying to pi- patrol, and they just can't – even so, the area is so vast, like, you just can't stop at all. So Yeah, and they have drones flying overhead too, but as you said, it's just too big of an area to, to patrol yeah, every well, inch of it. Well, I mean, you know, the area that's getting hit most often is itself the size of a pretty sizable nation. You know, so, I mean, it just – these boats are so tiny. It's not like you have massive – Massive galleons, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, just sailing along. Oh, that's clearly Johnny, pirate. Johnny Depp at the helm. You know, it's not really pirate armada. Yeah, right. It's the worst pirate I've ever seen. But but it is refreshing to know that we actually have a legitimate pirate name now, though. That we got red teeth. Red that, teeth. That, that's so red teeth. Red teeth is the uh, is the new patron saint of Somali piracy. It's the new Blackbeard. <laughs> new, new Blackbeard. Love it. All right, well, we're gonna take a quick break and uh, come back again with uh, more news and good stuff. Be right back. Okay, and we're back. 
Uh, next up, Morgan, you got something to share with us about what? Sure, Hollywood. Hollywood. In my, uh, I, I really love the. Uh, I love watching Hollywood and watch itself shoot itself. Watch it shoot itself in the foot as uh, new media comes along and it can't seem to adjust and does things more and more to alienate its customers and lose revenue and doesn't seem to know what to do. And I kind of like watching a death spiral of an in, of an entire industry. It's sort of amusing, so, I guess. So not. says the guy in the print media business. <laughs> yeah, I know. But <laughs> anyway, amusing. carry on. It's amusing <laughs> from the, the rubbernecking standpoint, and, that, and, and it's thankfully not you know, about print media. So. Yeah. <laughs> but evidently, Hollywood is losing money hand over fist on CDs and DVD sales because, well, probably for a few reasons. One, most of the material that people are supposed to buy is terrible, I'm sure. Two, people like to rent the stuff because – most likely, because most likely it's terrible. I mean, and you know, you have things like Netflix and Redbox. Redbox are those. Uh, what is Redbox? Those are supermarkets. Well, you see them in supermarkets and convenience stores. It's mm-hmm. like the kiosks where you can get like a movie for like a dollar, um, like a dollar a night. You okay. just rent it at the supermarket. Sounds like a Coke machine for movies. Basically, they're like Seven Eleven, don't they? Yeah, I just saw them. In this, there was like a Seven Eleven by me. Just had one. I thought it was a Coke machine until I got closer and I put my glasses on. <laughs> I can't old drink this. It wasn't Coke that came out. This is no way. This doesn't taste good at all. It's so no yeah. <laughs> but anyway, those th- that's that's sort of where the big money is, beca- is. I mean, where people's movie interests at least have come. So Hollywood mm-hmm. has just a great idea of saying, I guess the movie studios were like, well, we're losing money to Netflix. People are not renting our brilliant DVDs, so we need to figure out a way that we can get bring up our revenue. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a thirty day? We give it a thirty day window from the release of the DVD until the time that anyone can actually rent it. So there's going to be a whole month where you, the only play, way you can get you these can movies it. is to purchase the DVD. Now, as I did, forgot to mention there, the other big problem is piracy, of course. Right. So we're not talking about the high seas piracy. We're talking about the digital piracy in this case. Everything has, seems to have a tie right now. Yeah, right. Crime to piracy. To, <laughs> to, to larceny. So what they're basically saying, as far as I can tell, is <clears throat> you've got a problem with piracy and you've got a problem with products that people aren't really that keen on buying. And you're basically saying it's available in the world, folks. But you can't have it unless you pay $30 for it, which I think is just an invitation to go, well, why don't you just go pirate it? Yeah. I think it more or less Hollywood is basically opening up a window where they're just telling people, more or less inviting people to pirate their movies. Yeah, it's going, it's going to have the opposite effect. I mean, if you think about it, these are, if you're a consumer of DVDs, you're used to getting them on their, on their release date. And particularly if you're used to getting them from you know internet-based uh, like like channels, that, yeah. like say Netflix or iTunes or – what, ha- what have you, mm-hmm. you're already kind of used to doing things online when it comes to movies. Is it really going to be that far of a step for you to take to just go, well, if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm just going to go take it for free? Yeah. The, ca- the other trick is Netflix is actually going to sign on to this, most likely, which seems weird, but probably because they're going to get discounts on the movies to start with. But I would think this is the type of thing that kind of shoots Netflix business a little bit, too. Probably. You know, you, like, you, why you would imagine. you now rent a movie that if you're inviting people to pirate some for 30 days because they can't get it any other way except for buying it? Of course, it may not be bothering them that much because I think Netflix is, it seems to be getting a whole lot of traction off of folks who have kind of given up on going to the movie theaters in general and figure, you know what, you know, there's a movie I want to watch. Okay, I, I, especially since the, the time between theatrical release and DVD release seems to be getting shorter now. I right. remember it used to be on average about six months. Now it seems to be maybe as short as four months for certain for some movies. Well, a lot of Netflix sales. No, I mean, I mean, Netflix, I mean what, what's another 30 days of waiting? Netflix primary sales are from what are driven by like older stuff. You know, I when I was on Netflix for a while, I watched the old, all the old Hitchcock movies. I never oh, watched. sure. Okay. So that's what most people are. I mean, that's, I guess, the vast majority of their catalog is going to be back catalog stuff. But mm-hmm. what gets people in the door, I mean, is the new stuff. 
Yeah. You know, I used to go to. I'm sure you will remember going to like the video store, and the first thing you do in a video store is go to the new releases, and then yeah. maybe you backtrack to like, oh, there's nothing new I want to see. Let's go see something else. It just doesn't seem right to go. Well, this uh, let's not just disregard this whole part of our business and like you know not sell it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, not that I, not that I think that this, the, the movie studios have have always done the best job in kind of protecting their inventory. But I mean, I, I sympathize with their situation because, you know, the 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 way the financial model of that whole industry works is that, you know, you have a huge amount of money you invest in any given mo- any given movie, right? And most movies don't really turn a profit. I mean, the big blockbuster ends up floating, floating the cost for, what, nine or ten failed projects. Right. And DVD sales have often been what turns a movie that's either marginally profitable or unprofitable into the black, you know? Um, you know, you know, there's some movies that are kind of, you know, famous, you know, you know, box office failures, right? Either they're just critically, they just flopped, or they just didn't, weren't able to recoup their, their lavish production costs. And it was always the DVD sales that ultimately turned things around for them. So I can see why they want to kind of protect that revenue stream, but you know, at the same time, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's the, it, you, you've got to be smart about it, you know, and, and alienating your your customer base, right. especially a customer base that can learn how to pick up stuff off a of torrent so easily. Why why push them to that? It, if you don't, it, it's really what they're doing is holding on to an old model. Yeah. Holding on to the old way of doing things. The old way of doing things is we make a movie, then we sell this movie on DVD, and maybe we rent it. And we do it. But if that way is not working, you've got an entire group of people, you know, your customers. It's the whole idea lately of you know if it's internet based, let's not give the customer what they want, right? Which is killing all a lot of things that are not willing to pro- to progress with the times. The internet is here. Sorry, it's happening. You need to change with it because it's not going to go away just because you don't like it and you're going to hold mm-hmm. your breath until you know things change. Because when they change, you'll find out that you're left standing outside poor. Right, and I think it's just going away from two. They expect to be able to continue this ownership model. Whereas I will pay twenty dollars to have a physical copy of said movie or even you know music if you want to go there, and just so I can have it in my house and listen to it anytime I want. Well, that's not really necessary anymore. Like, for instance, I just went this weekend to Ohio for my old roommate's uh, wedding, and he happened to have a booklet of like fifty of my CDs, and a lot of more great CDs that I and he's had them for five years. He moved away, and he he just I left them in his car or whatever. And um, I got them all back, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. But then I was like, I've actually, like, kind of reacquired these somehow in different ways or, like, some of these songs that I really like. Like, I can just listen to them on YouTube. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not the need to own them. Whereas if if I would have lost 50 CDs, like, 15 years ago, it would have been, like... Catastrophic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would have never been able to hear that music again. Now it's not... I don't need to own it as much as I would have in the past. And I feel like the same way for movies. Like, I own a lot of movies, but I don't watch them all that often. And I'm cool to be able to just there's so many. get it on Netflix, you know, download. There's so many choices. I mean, everybody's got on-demand. If you've got cable, you've got on-demand options. Mm-hmm. If you've got even, you can even purchase movies on-demand. You know, not just talking about free stuff that's just playing on your everyday cable. You yeah, have sure. to get lucky and turn it on and see it. And you, you know, everybody can record. DVRs are pretty common. You know, yeah, it's not just absolutely. Evo was the little thing. Now every single cable system has got a DVR option. And sure, you might have to pay ten bucks a month or something like that, but. I personally have more movie access to more movies yeah. at the click of a button than I ever did. Yeah. There is never going to be a time I can see uh, – I was never that type of person to go buy DVDs anyway – that I'm going to go out and buy a DVD regardless. But if there was something I really wanted to see and you're not giving it to me, like I said, there's other ways. Yeah, and I don't get the 30-day window. Like I don't like – I don't watch a lot of movies, but if there is one that just came out on DVD that I really wanted to see – 
I'm not going to be dying to, to buy it. I'll wait 30 days, get it, you know, yeah. And not Netflix only that, think about this. The movie's out for 30 days. How long does the buzz last for a movie that everybody's got to see? A month goes yeah. by, there's something else that's out now. Yeah, right. And I have a feeling you just might lose those sales altogether. There's so many movies that will come out and go, oh, I'd like to see that. And then I, life happens, you forget. And yeah, the sure. next thing you know, it's not in the theaters and you don't miss it because, well, it's just a movie. We are getting a little old, though. we got to remember that, too. Sure. I mean, they are making most of their money off 13 to 25-year-olds who do have that social pressure of their friends that if they haven't seen um, The Hangover yet and it's still six months on, then they're kind of a loser. Well, you that's know, that's the, right. if they're worried about that demographic, then that demographic is probably more apt to download something and, yeah, absolutely. It yep. and pirate it than, than any others. I mean, the only people are the people that have enough money to purchase things. If you're... If the people you're the consumers you got to groom are the people who don't have any money, the kids, depending on mom and dad's allowance at, yeah. or maybe you know part time job, you you alienate them from the start. Yeah. Well, good luck having that industry last very long. I mean, it's only going to be so long before you know their parents stop buying them. I don't. I have DVDs I bought a year ago that I've never opened. They're still yeah. in the plastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know? It seems to be yeah. an outdated business model. Is it only one studio, or is it like it's all? I, it, the, the article I looked at didn't say. I mean, they kept using Hollywood. And I'm sure it's more than one studio because, because really, it would make sense that they'd all have to kind of come together Agreed. just right. to make that window happen. They, it's just, it's sort of just out of touch, kind well, of. Well, you're saying something about the Sony, Sony, oh, and, yeah, right. and, and the Bravia TV, right? Well, the thing is, too, is even while at the same time they're doing things that are dumb, then they try to get involved with things like, let's see if we can be innovative for a second and do something that kind of ties everything together. Maybe we can, you know, be unique, but it turns out to be stupid. For instance, Sony's got a thousand dollar Bravia television for sale, HD, Blu-ray, all that bit, right? Which and does look really good, by the way. I looked sure at it the other amazing. day. I, no, the picture is. Hey, listen, is there's sweet. nothing wrong with a nice big TV, nice big flat screen TV with all the high definition. Sony makes a good bells TV. And whistles. But their their little their idea, I guess, a little promo idea was that they were going to offer if you bought this television, you'd get the opportunity to rent the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. It was a 3D kids movie cartoon back <laughs> my, in the My kids time. never fail to remind me about right. it every day. <laughs> you'd get to rent that movie. Rent, remember, being the operative word for the low low price of. Twenty four ninety five. What? Thirty days in advance of its release. That is stupid tax. Which just seems like you just wasted idea. your breath writing that writing that you know advertisement because I can't see anybody but the least informed consumer actually doing that. The only the only group I could see them thinking this would work with would be fam- frankly groups like my family Parents. where we don't really go yeah. to the theater all that often. We do have the- like kind of movie night at home because once you have a Blu-ray player and a nice TV set, turn off the lights, it's you kind of you, you kind of go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe maybe they're kind of banking well. You know, you'd pay forty bucks to go out to the theater for tickets for everybody and for snacks that sort of thing. Well, then what's twenty five just to do it at home? But twenty five just seems like a weird price point for that. Like, wouldn't you want to? You know, it, I can understand they said rent it for five, rent it for ten. Yeah, right. Not rent it for the cost of what the DVD is going to sell for when it finally does come out, well, which we're going to make you yeah. buy again, by the way, because renting this is only a rental. This is not a purchase. Well, you know, circling back to something that Jared brought up. Which I thought was a really fascinating point, which is the notion of the shift in perceived value from the actual physical thing you can hang on to. I mean, I, I, I remember you'd hold on to a, to a CD and you go, "Okay, this is fifteen bucks right here, yeah. right?" But it's, it's the value proposition is no longer hanging on to physical material, but having access to intellectual property, really, right? And if you're looking at it like that, then Hollywood has completely failed to pick up on the, the lesson that the music industry learned when they went, "All right, you know what? They adopted the iTunes model. Let's sell a song for a buck." I mean. Yeah, all right, it may have cost you $100 million to produce, I don't know, Transformers 2 or something, right? But the truth is, 
that, however much the movie costs to make, has no bearing on how much the, the consumer is willing to pay to get access to it. Okay, if you want to pay five bucks for a movie, you're going to pay five bucks for a movie, or you're going to download it for free. It doesn't matter if the movie was a ten thousand dollar, you know, thing like uh, like uh, uh, par- you know, Paranormal Activity, or a, a gold a, a gold covered, you know, extravagant project like Transformers Two. People are going to pay for it what they feel they want to pay for it. Right. And Transformers Two is not worth five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Just let you know that. <laughs> Frankly, neither is paranormal activity, but that's a whole yeah, other story. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, I, 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 and frankly, the whole thing, this whole this whole situation with Saul itself, a pilot would just get back to making decent movies. Frankly, I mean, that's a whole other well, podcast. People, but initially, the intrinsic value. Come on, Transformers Two is probably a terrible movie from all accounts. All reviews have said it's terrible, and they spent a lot of money, and they made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But no, but those people, I think that you know, the, the box office draw. That's that's just from the special effects, you know. Yeah, experience, and as no, and as big as your television may get in your house, it's it's not the same as being <laughs> in the movie theater. So then you start to notice that the plot is abysmal, and you're never going to want to watch it again. Yeah, I mean, after that, if you got nothing to sell me, essentially, except for yeah. some CGI that I could probably do if I took some courses. Yeah, well, obviously it's more complicated than that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, then it's 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 it's, it's it's actually not that much complicated. <laughs> not more complicated. There's a a movie floating around uh, YouTube right now. It's called like. It's called like like the the white box or something like that. And pretty much it's just this nine minute sci fi clip. It's kind of first person action, kind of like Cloverfield or something like that. And it's just basically just this little short story of some guy. It's it's obviously shot like in the in the Netherlands or something like that. And the idea is some guy's in a in a lab. He grabs this little cube, hits a button on it, and starts this chain reaction outside. You see this wormhole crate in the sky, and he's being chased by these guys in powered armor. It's this big science fiction action spectacle, right? And it's a really cool nine-minute film. I mean, you look at the special effects, they're not as sophisticated as you'd see in, say, a Hollywood blockbuster, but, I mean, they're really, really good, okay? And what happened is, this guy made this movie for, like, 130 euros and buying his friends a pizza, I mean, he made it on virtually nothing, and now Hollywood's knocking on his door, going, "Hey, you want to do some stuff for us?" I mean, the cost to produce these things can be very, very low, you know. And so Hollywood really needs to reevaluate, you know, from a terms of, you know, just return on investment. You know, you know, is there a smarter way for them to be making the profits they need to, they need to make? Well, I think you had said this in, in the relation to music, and I, I mean, I don't know how it relates to movies, but with a lot of this this intellectual property that has now got a huge digital component. Maybe that's maybe the selling of that recording of its music is not your your key selling point anymore. I mean, maybe you just kind of let it go after a certain point, and you know, musicians make money on concerts and t-shirts. Yeah, yeah right. Movies make money on the box office. People are still going to want to go and sit in the dark with a bunch of friends and have that communal experience on the giant screen. Right. And especially if you have IMAX screens and 3D movies, mm-hmm. that's yeah. adding value to the movie experience, which is something that you can't get at home without spending an arm and a leg to do so. Absolutely true. And maybe Universal right. looks at it as like, and they buy a popcorn manufacturer and they, they get into that game and they buy these theaters from Lowe's or whatnot. I mean, we live in New York, so if you go to the theaters around here, they're really, really nice. I mean, they it's, are. Yeah. it's impressive to go if you're going to go see some garbage like Transformers 2. That's that's where you want to see it. But I mean, and, I, right. I know smaller cities throughout the nation may don't maybe don't have those beautiful theaters with the great leather seats and the amazing sound. A lot of them have got some really nice, like, cineplexes, though. I'm sure they do, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, you know, if... You if, more if, have to run into a small... I have one right, right in my neighborhood that's a small little rinky-dink place with <laughs> busted seats and stuff. You know, yeah. second-run movies. And things. I mean, you can make these things in, like, palaces, you know, like, symphonies or whatever, you know, type, yeah. of, type of stadiums that if someone wanted to get into that game and, and try to expand on that, then maybe that's the way to go. And instead of trying to put the brakes on this old model and try to just, you know, wring every last penny out of this sponge or 
that's this outdated model. I mean, I look at things even like Blu-ray, and I'm like, yeah, that'll be gone in three years. I'm not buying one. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, there's the no way that's going to stick around. So quickly, there really is. There's no telling that that you know. I mean, in our life, in my lifetime, it went. There was laser discs at one yeah. point, and then well, VHS and Beta was a problem, or you know, like. But when we there's already a have, lot of formats that have gone through, yeah. and I'm I'm only I'm in my mid 30s. There's a, I've already well, seen know, six formats for movies. You raised a really good point. Blu <laughs> Ray straight up killed my family buying movies anymore because we had an extensive DVD collection, right? And even though the Blu Ray player is backwards compatible, it can play DVDs. I mean, honestly, the picture really is that much better on a Blu Ray player versus a DVD player. We resisted it for like a right. year and a half, or whatever. And one day we just walked in the TV store and we were just like, we just <coughs> saw a Blu Ray picture and we were just thunderstruck at how it's good. Really nice. it, it really, it's really nice. How good it looks. Okay. So when we got the and we had the Blu-ray player, but we realized, you know what? I am not going to go back and rebuy every movie I own on Blu-ray just to get the better picture. Okay, if I need to see it that badly, I'll just Netflix it. It's okay. I mean, I'm already used to watching movies on my iPod, which has got a screen the size of a postage stamp. Yeah. They're not going, you know, they, you know, good luck trying to get me to pony up hundreds of dollars to rebuy movies I've already bought. Two or sometimes even three times. I mean, come on. You've really. How many times do I do? How many times do I have to buy Pulp Fiction until I can just say, "Fine, I'm done." You know, I own it. Just leave me alone. The, I mean, we, and and even you, these are not consumers in a vacuum because these consumers went through this with music, mm-hmm. you know, and bought rebought their collections off a of record, then cassette, then CD, and whatever comes next. Yeah. So this is not so. And there somehow. might be a next with music, but I mean, digital seems like at least somewhat of an end game in the sense that. This is this tiny file that I put on How this big giant box, get. and I yeah. even to the point where it's an iPod, and I can carry around thousands of them with me. So you would imagine digital uh, movie is going to be, you know, video is going to be a little longer to get there, but eventually it's going to go that way too. So why am I buying this plastic that I'm just going to yeah. have sitting around my house? Well, what's pretty neat to see as far as innovation goes, and and you know there are there, there do seem to be people who are trying to address address all this. I know we're leaving Emily in the dust because she hasn't gone to a movie theater and. Probably ever. No. Was E.T. the last movie you saw? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're saying she was even born before E.T. came out. No, I was, but E.T. was out. <laughs> E.T. was out. <laughs> I couldn't go to it because, you know. Jared's like 22. Come on. <laughs> so, no, but um, – you know, you know what you're seeing now though is like like there are some independent filmmakers, especially if they're just shooting straight on video or something, and they're releasing films directly to um, to peer to peer networks. I mean, if you get like like there's a an application out there called Views, right? V U S E, I guess it is, or V U Z E, right? And you could use it to illegally download movies, or you could use it to access what's known as the Views network, right? Where they actually have legitimate content that's being distributed peer-to-peer. It's kind of like a YouTube situation, but it's just all being done on the peer-to-peer network. And there are entire movies being uploaded there initially, you know, and, 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 and it's actually origi- where they're putting out the original content. So, I mean, it's not like this this way of, of transferring data has to be used for just illicit purposes. There's actually, you know, it could be used, you know, economically. And, uh, you know, as, as far as, as far as you know, staying to the old theater model, like you said, Jared's got a really good point. I mean, why don't they just buy the theaters? I mean, I, I mean, the theaters themselves don't make a whole lot of money. They tend to make their money off of all the food they sell. Yeah. But, you know, you can't pirate food, right? I mean, just... You can't pirate, you can't <laughs> pirate the experience. Yeah, not, not yet. yet. That's right. <laughs> what a yeah. glorious day it'll be when Red Teeth is actually making bootleg popcorn. <laughs> Red pirate Red Teeth. Red Teeth <laughs> it's it's uh, it's that's the uh, that's the thing about piracy. You can't pirate the experience for anything. So no, you can't. So evidently, Hollywood or and music, all these industries that are dealing with digital stuff need to do something about. I guess let go, yeah. let go, and accept that technology is maybe going to uh, move on without you. So your strategic risk of your future operations. Exactly. There you exactly. Go. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with uh, last segment of the podcast. Stay tuned. 
Okay, and we're back. Uh, Emily, what do you have for us? Uh, yeah, Bill, I want to talk about Black Friday Ooh. and crowd control. Um, Black Friday being, you know, the day after Thanksgiving. Where I've never heard of it. All the sales go on. Have you guys ever been out shopping during Black Friday? I don't know. I why would, I, why would you shop on Thanksgiving? Why would you do that? Black Friday. Why? Don't you have a family to go to? The day after I have a family to go to. I stay with my family. Phil, welcome Phil. to Earth. Phil, <laughs> it's the biggest shopping day of the year. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's I'm just kidding. I I've Black done Friday. Christmas Eve, but I've never done Black Friday. I, Christmas yeah. Eve. I've, so, I've <laughs> totally <laughs> shopped on Christmas Eve. It's awesome. Christmas morning is the way to go. Nothing's <laughs> 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 open then. That's the problem. Seven Eleven. Seven Eleven. Get a lot of get a lot of uh, candy bars and cigarettes. <laughs> Which is what ends up being, and everybody's stuck. Here you go, kids. Look up. Who doesn't Sweet like candy bars and cigarettes? <laughs> Christmas morning. So. But Thanksgiving, on the other hand, See, no this is cigarettes. why I never got to it. No, go ahead. All right. So you guys may remember last year in Valley Stream, New York. Um, there close was a, to my hometown. Right. There was a Walmart worker who was trampled to death um, when they opened the Walmart store uh, on Black Friday, the morning of Black Friday. And to try and combat you know, that chaos, Walmart mm-hmm. has instituted you know, a slew of new rules for this coming season. And um, one of them is they're, not, they're just not going to close uh, after Thanksgiving day. There's going to be no opening of the store the morning on, you know, Friday morning. So the store will stay open. There will be no opening. Um, they're also going to have several different entrances and exits. And there's also going to be a process in place where you have to get a ticket for the item you want. So if you go in and you want a, you know, a laptop, and for like, for like 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 big ticket items, you mean like big a, ticket items? Yes, because that's what kind of touched off the rampage last year, right? They they had like a, a crazy sale on flat screen TVs or something, right? Yeah, that's they what usually people do were, every were, year. They're trying to run across the store to get them. Right now, there's going to be a more orderly process in place, right? Where like if you want, you have a ticket for the big the you know big screen TV, you have to line up in this line, and it, and it starts at 5 a.m. You know the sale, but this year they're having $300 laptops and $99 navigation devices. Just a couple of things. But the sale has to start at some time, no? The sale, the sale starts at 5 a.m. that Friday, but they're never going to close. So you can you Feasibly, can just you could camp out in you Walmart can just camp in that night. line or whatever. So it'd be like camping out like <coughs> the beginning of like a like a like a popular movie or something. So you just but, get in line, right? Right. But I think the, so the theory is like who's who's really going to you know miss all of Thanksgiving Day just for a uh, navigation device? Have you seen people of Walmart.com? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some people who do that. <laughs> I recommend it. It's uh, some nice. Well, there are people who are willing to get involved in a crazy trampling press last year. I mean, I mean, people get. I, I will say, people do get kind of nuts when they start shopping after Thanksgiving. Yes. And, and, and I mean, I mean, if there's a, a particular item they're really gunning to get, they really will, will go to any lengths to get it. So, uh, so, so I, I can see this working for Walmart. Yeah, you know? the idea it, of not having people congregate in front of a door and then having everybody in the back of the line, uh, back of the crowd push those people into the door yeah. until the door gives way and either kills someone in the front or someone who was mm-hmm. uh, in this case employed by one who was behind the door. Yeah, and the greeters are not the youngest crowd to get out of the way. No, I, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although this was a security guard who got killed, right? No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, he was a temp worker right. okay. there just hired for the holiday season. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he was working security. Yeah. But, um, this is not only like a big deal for like the safety of, of the customers, but it's a huge liability for retailers if they don't, you know, have a plan in place because this could happen and, you know, it costs Walmart and it could cost other people. Coles and Toys R Us, they don't have any sort of plan in place for the Black Friday. I'm sure yeah. not everybody, yeah, I'm sure for everybody who does, there's probably five that don't. 
Yeah. Yeah, probably. So. Walmart's got the the biggest imprint, so anything they do is going to make the news. But well, people love to to give Walmart a whole, you know a, a really hard time. I mean, I, I mean, it's the world's largest retailer has no small you know, number of, of critics. But I got to tell you, I mean, this what happened last year. I mean, it doesn't seem like you know Walmart did anything wrong necessarily. They just ran a sale, which any other retailer is going to want to do, especially this year. I mean, I mean, I mean, trying you know trying to get into the black you know on on Black Friday. Is, is is really going to be the big the big deal? Retailers have had a horrible year, so they're going to want to have as many people you know rushing into the store, frankly, as possible. But they've got to deal with the safety issue. It seems like what happened at Walmart, frankly, could have happened to any major retailer having a really good sale last year. So I think it's you know kudos to Walmart, frankly, for addressing it and trying to get something done about it. And hopefully, being the world's biggest retailer, maybe if what they do works, other retailers may follow it, and you could have a positive safety trend start. Well, also, it also would help if you you know you kind of. Recognize the potential risk and don't have this culture of doorbuster sales. And come, you know, be yeah. the first in, on your block to get this and hurry, 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 because you kind of, you know, you get people up in a frenzy and then you go, now we open one door, go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, right. it's it's sort of like it's it's this it's the push for for profit and to make it a big, you know, spectacle. Everybody's got to be involved with. Less so for the safety and security of the people who are actually shopping yeah. there. It, it's the whole idea that maybe you want to pay attention to the fact the fact that you're you're only here as long as your customers are willing to patronize yeah. your facility. I I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> a few years ago, a bizarre Christmas shopping story happened with me and and, and with the Walmart and and it just it just sort of speaks to the mentality of people shopping during the holiday season and 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 what retailers are really up against trying to deal with these crowds, right? Because, I mean, the art of, of crowd control is, is is a very interesting one. I mean, you see some industries like amusement parks, for example, and operators within the, that industry like Disney and, and Six Flags, Great Adventure, both, you know, you see, they have some very ingenious, I guess, things, you know, you know, that they've done to manage large crowds, to prevent tramplings and presses and, you know, that that sort of stuff, and, and they're very, very good. They're very good at it, you know, because they've got obviously got incentive to do it. But retail stores, I mean, those, I mean, you can't build a store like a labyrinth so people can't get through right. it just to prevent, you know, you know, a, a possibility one day out of the year. You Unless you're right. IKEA, which seems to make it worse. I don't know if you've ever been through an IKEA. And- I, you know, I love IKEA, but I can't figure out why they, they, they. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 impossible to get through that place quickly. It's it's kind of strange. But um, but 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 this the story is that um. All right, so every year for Christmas we go up to, we would go to my, my parents' place, right? And we'd we'd go up there on Christmas Eve and we'd exchange presents. And my father was Where is up there? Up there, uh Easton, Pennsylvania. Sorry. Okay. So we go up to go up to Easton. I live on the Jersey Shore, we drive up there and uh you know, we'd we have, you know, dinner, exchange presents and we all go home, then we do the Christmas thing, you know, in the morning at my place. Anyway, so my father is notorious for procrastinating with his Christmas shopping, and we actually got up there on you know, Christmas Eve, and, and it, it was kind of like what Derek was joking about. We get there, and my dad's like, great, the Calvary's right. You're going to help me get some presents. And we're like, are you serious? And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go. Dinner's in two hours. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. He's like, we got all the time we need, right? So we're just going to go to – and, like, and the only place that was open nearby was Walmart, right? So we went to this Walmart. We're shopping around, and frankly, the store was pretty picked over. I mean, we're, like, you know, looking at, like, yeah. like you know – <laughs> Do we get lawn fertilizer yeah. or, or like or, 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 or potato peelers? Yeah, cooking bits, exactly. You know, like oh, look at this. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was pretty slim pickings. And needless to say, my dad impressed. Likes triple extra large sweatshirts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Batteries for everyone. <laughs> yeah, my father impressed no one that year with what he got for Christmas. Um, but we're we're halfway through our, our shopping trip, and all of a sudden, um, this 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 bulletin goes goes out over the whole store. Basically asking everybody, please stop what you're doing, take what you have in your hands or, or in your carts, and go go to checkout right away. 
Um, and, and they left it at that. And the police started coming through and, and, and the staff, and they were actually ushering everybody out of the store. And what happened is the store manager had committed suicide in the back of the store. Like, you know, like, wow. right, like right, right then and there, nobody had heard it, but I mean, he had actually killed himself. Um, and, and, you know, news of that kind of quickly got around, you know, people shopping, you're like, Oh my God, did you hear this? But the, the funny thing is that people weren't like freaked out. Oh, I've got to get out of the store. There's a dead guy in the back. People were all like, damn it, I'm not done with my Christmas shopping. Because there were a whole bunch of people like my father who were like under the gun. They right. had they didn't, they didn't had to finish their Christmas shopping. And people were actively resisting the police. Like, no, man, I'm going to keep shopping. Like they had to be pu- physically pushed down the aisle you know, b- before they'd get out. They were so just callous like about it. Humanity so, was removed. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what the holiday season does to people when they're shopping for stuff, right? Yeah, but right? how does it get that way? It doesn't get that way just because human nature is necessarily going – some sort of circadian rhythm kicks into your head. Now it's around the holidays, so you must shop. It's because the retail environment has made it a pressurized thing that your family will love you just as much as you can buy them the newest toys. And if you don't get them, well, you're you're a terrible parent, brother, sister, son, daughter, what have you. So you better get into this store real quickly. Now, I mean yesterday, you know, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's right. a sort of a cultural thing that – I mean, thankfully, there's only been you know, probably a handful of cases of people getting injured, yeah. this sort of thing. But there's always stories like that. You always hear of yeah. somebody getting trampled and not necessarily killed. And I mean, this case was you know a little yeah. more tragic than some others. But I, it's not like the first time. Yeah, I've this heard happens that. at soccer games. Yeah. Uh, people concerts. getting in fights all yeah, the sure. time over over the most trivial things that if it was a different day, they wouldn't be. Yeah. So, well, it seems like every year or two, there's always some sort of like must-have item that kind of creates a a a, a crazy inflated need right. at that you know at that well, time. These aren't even the things that, that Black Friday sales are. Black Friday sales tend to be just like cut-rate items and things. You know, like oh, we've got a ton of TVs. It's not yeah, like selling for a third Elmo. of the price. Yeah, yeah, right. The, the hot toy item usually kind of just happens after after a certain because yeah. it's scarce. Like people could run all they want to go get Wii's for the past three years. Nintendo Wii were just not on sale. Yeah. You know, I, it's it's. I mean, it's, I'm glad it's good to see that Walmart though is kind of. Yeah, I'm glad they're setting a, a, a precedent. Frankly, I'm, I'm surprised more incidents like this haven't happened in the past. Really, given, yep. given how savage people can get during during the holiday times, you know, it's, I, like I'm, I, frankly, I'm I'm I, well, my local Toys R Us is kind of. Um, it, it seems like it's structured to, to prevent large crowds right. from, from rushing in. Like when you walk through the, the front doors, and I don't know if lots of Toys R Us uh, retail locations are like this or just this one, but you walk in and there's um, a big you know, display wall right in front of you, and you have to kind of like just sort of walk around it. Kind of like how some grocery stores have like the produce section. You have to kind of like walk around it and thread through. It, it, it's great because you know, it would definitely you know, break up a crowd. right? You know, a crowd could not possibly just blast through the doors because you have to go through this kind of this corridor to turn around before you can spill out and, 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 and get some, some traction. So I, I, I always wondered if the store is, is designed like that to, to prevent, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, a, a Christmas time rush or something. I don't know. Right. Well, maybe you get some sound blasters too from these pirates. <laughs> some sound tie everything together. If you just put red teeth right at the door entrance, I think red everybody will be very civil. Red teeth, stolen toy emporium. <laughs> everybody be very civil and very orderly. Have hot sound guns to give away. And, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, so you bring everything full circle in this podcast. If you were paying attention, everything has had a back reference. Indeed, sure indeed it has. Yeah, and we'll see how well uh, Walmart's plan works. Uh. Come, come, uh, yeah, come Thanksgiving. Are you going? Uh, Are you going to go to Walmart that day for some roving reporting? Well, I'm going to have to now, right? 
can report back on the next risk cast. Does yeah. anybody here actually like really plan on doing that sort of stuff? I mean, I'm a kind of guy who waits till Monday. Yeah, and, I'm more of a Cyber Monday kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't be bothered on the weekend. But it's what like, about work? It's about work. <laughs> I get in early before work. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't abuse my company's time. No, no. I fully intend to uh, trample somebody to death on the train running to my computer for Cyber Monday sales. <laughs> Cyber like, Monday. See, that's kick, kick him out of the way. Get out of the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's much, much more safe. Yeah, we'll see how it works out. So we'll see. So, well, everybody have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, and uh, thanks for listening to the second episode of the podcast. Uh, we'll be back in another couple couple weeks for the third episode. And uh, until then, if you have any uh, comments or questions for us, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at uh, any of our risk management email addresses. Just go to uh, risk uh, risk management monitor. Dot com that's the side of our blog or rmmag.com side of our magazine uh, or just go to rims.org which is the uh, the master site that runs all of our all of our lives and you can go there and uh, get any any information you need so until then I am Bill Coffin publisher and editorial director of Risk Management Magazine and uh, my compadres and I thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next time see you later see ya see ya bye.